everyone, and welcome to the Traceability Podcast. I am your host, Tracy Edwards, and today I'm so excited we have Bob Prentice with us, better known as Bob the BA. And Bob is a longtime business analyst and trainer and executive, and he is the CEO of the Uncommon League. And so, so thrilled and happy to have you here with us today. Bob, thanks so much for taking some time with us. No, thank you for setting this up. It's such a valuable service to provide different perspectives to people. And especially in the time of, you know, COVID and the chaos that we're living in, I think we need more more of that, more communication, more context, more connection. I agree. It's sort of been a passion of mine over the last few years to sort of share BA stories, be more fearless, be more resilient, and uh, help other BAs to do the same. And I know that that's very much uh, your mindset and the message that you share Mm -hmm. as you do your various engagements. So really just sort of wanted to start out, how did you get into business analysis for those who haven't heard uh, your story? My story, yeah. Once upon a time in a land far, far away. I won't go back as far as when I was born, but what's interesting uh, about anyone becoming a BA, right? Did anyone else, any of us plan for it? Did anyone know that that's the direction? Of course not. I mean, I was a theater music major. My life was going to be Broadway and the opera or whatever it else, you know, would have happened. But, you know, things don't happen always the way we envision them. And we take a left turn and we get a job in corporate America and, you know, we're told what to do initially and we do it and we just keep moving forward. And I realized I like to solve problems and I was always in a position of doing that. And I just had a new job every nine months when I was at the Pillsbury organization. So the Doughboy, I worked for the Doughboy which was eventually bought by Diageo, which they're a drinks company. It was a great combination, desserts and drinks. <laughs> and pizza. <laughs> um, as well as all the other brands. What was interesting about that experience is I didn't realize I was doing business analysis things. And I was doing business analysis the entire time. And, you know, I was in sales and operations, you know, doing report solicitation and, you know, diving into people's problems and figuring out how all that stuff works and, you know, getting fixes sent to IT. So I was doing that elicitation, you know, and analysis piece long before anyone knew that's really what it was. And um, so I woke up one day right after I had left Pillsbury. I had finally kind of had enough we had been through mergers. I was working for Hagendaz at the time. And see, also Hagendaz. I mean, come on, it was such a, it was such a unique part of my life to work with all these crazy brands. But after I declined to take a job in nowhere, California, because <laughs> that's where they were moving towards to go into a merger, and I'd already been through another merger. I was kind of like, I'm done with the mergers, and I took a package and left. And I had several offers and I made the wrong choice. And what's interesting about that is that it went horribly awry. The person that hired me left the company the day I got there. 
people that inherited me didn't want me. <laughs> it was two weeks of uh, going nowhere and HR was completely appalled. And we were like, please take a couple of weeks severance, you know, if you want to go and find another job. Well, I ended up applying for reapplying for the job. And it was this job actually where I woke up and said, oh, I'm a business analyst for real. And, you know, that was the early 2000s when people were just starting to talk about what it meant to be a BA. The IIBA was just forming. And so I ended up kind of being at the ground floor of all that stuff. And so no plans for being a BA, just knew that once it all solidified, everything I had been doing for the previous 10 years was that. And then, you know, add another 20 some years. (laughs) (laughs) And here I am. (laughs) Here we are. I was doing the Broadway moment though. Here I am. I mean, it was like, you know, the star (laughs) can't. Hey, world. (laughs) Well, I think so many of us who are sort of a little more advanced in our careers, that was the way it was with business analysis, right? We were doing work. There wasn't a name for it. We were trying to solve problems. And then all of a sudden we discovered there is a name for it. And that's what we're doing. And oh, we're business analysts. So I think that kind of speaks to discovery mindset where you're moving into an organization and creating it as you go along. Very much so. I mean, when I went to the next company with, again, this mindset, oh, I'll be here forever. I was at the last company for 10 years. And most people that know me wouldn't think I have that type of personality, but I really do like to hunker down. But uh, I was hired in for a migration effort. And as it turned off, I I was the lead in between the business and IT. It was 100%. Everything I was doing was business analysis. It's what I knew where the industry was going. But now I'm in an organization demonstrating this skill set, and they had no clue what it was or why they would need it later after they got out of migrations and started applying it on real projects. So the second phase of my career was as fascinating as the first. Because now I had focused, but now focus, I had to, you know, influence an entire organization on what it meant to be a BA and what the value was. And of course, at the same time, I'm getting multiple certifications, I'm progressing, I'm doing my own growth, everything else heavily involved Minneapolis St. Paul chapter I started with a few other people, ran that for seven years. And, you know, things keep building, we keep learning, we keep growing. And but then everything just was like, it's business analysis. It was no longer my desire to just be a jack of all trades. I got focused behind that platform. And as a result, I will say by the time I left the next company, they had over 70 BAs. That, my goodness. Yeah, that's how much we had influenced and the work we had done. It's yeah, it was really gratifying. Now, granted, they've been merged a couple of times since then, and I'm sure mm-hmm. it's gone to heck. But yeah, <laughs> that's what works. You build a program, and the next person comes as, in and trashes it. But. As these things go, yeah, yeah. Getting, I, I guess, to one of what I know is one of your favorite topics is the influencing without yeah. authority. I, I think, well, some of us, you know, as BAs, we're very, we're very dramatic, we're very verbal, but often we're a little, you know, hesitant to sort of drive some of that influence, and mm-hmm. and so. What was that sort of in you that you were able to be that 
be that influencer and and that leader and yeah so that's a, a great question uh, you know i'm going to give you a slightly different answer than maybe what would be expected i think it was going back to understanding what was the point of influence and what it really was and what i thought influence was was dramatically different than what influence is in the corporate environment and should be and that's because typical influence, you know, people see it as a model, a role model, things like that. And that goes a long way. And a lot of people think, you know, influence is just presenting the facts and that only goes a little way. And so those two things aren't even remotely close to what it takes to influence. And so when I tie that back to what was really inside me was my passion to do the right thing for the people and the project and the organization maximizing business value. That's been my motto for a very long time. And to do that, it means I need to influence passionately about the things that I know are right, you know, and I got to get everyone else on board with that. But of course, everyone has a different agenda. Everyone has a different, you know, thought process and everyone is just their, their makeup is very, very different. So if you don't have the passion and you don't understand that influence is all about doing the right thing for people, influence is about being a compelling force, you know, that, you know, you're going to push as hard as you can. You'll walk away. If they really don't want it, then you're okay with that. Anything more than that becomes persuasion and then it gets ugly. And that's how most people try to influence. They logically persuade. The fact is this, the fact is this, the fact is this. You can do that to me all day long and I won't care. So, you know, you take those things and you start wrapping them up. You understand what influence is really for, and then you have a passion for it. Then comes the rest of it. That's when you have to learn how to understand and read people at a completely different level. You know, so it's, it's this kind of journey you have to take with influence if you want to be an influencer. So it almost sounds a little bit like the Simon Sinek sort of mantra of the, they will buy what you care about. They are more influenced by the why than by the what kind of thing. Well, I think that there is an aspect in marketing of that. And, and I think you always have to look at the who, the what, the where, the why, the when, the how and the how many, all those kind of combos. But there's actually a deeper secret into why someone's going to buy. And it's actually not what I am presenting just as a topic. It's how I'm presenting it to someone based on what they value. And so, for example, and these are called currencies, Bradford and Cohen wrote about these, but I've spent 15 years analyzing them on a whole different level. They don't really, they talk about it, but they don't go deep enough into the strategies of how you use them. So, for example, first and foremost, my big thing is inspiration. And if you don't inspire me on another level, I'm never going to buy what you're buying. I just, you know, I, I need to see why it's so important for me. I need to see how it's going to change lives. I need to see, this isn't just raw, raw, you know, inspiration at the football game. This is like nonprofit mentality, big picture, do the right thing stuff. And if you want to influence me to do something, that's how you better come for me. Otherwise I'm not going to buy or help out. And you could be a very completely different type of person. You know, maybe you're a command and control person who needs all the details, or maybe you're a relationship-based person that 
If I don't build a relationship with you first, I'm never going to buy what you're buying. And you can see that, you know, one of my favorite things to do is go to like a state fair or the Renaissance. And I analyze people when they're in that moment of looking at stuff and whether they're purchased or not. And I'm like, not going to do it, not going to do it. Cause I know they're not hitting what that person cares about. Um, I get a little too geeked out about doing stuff like that. (laughs) (laughs) Life is a social experiment. Right, right. That sort of speaks to what I think is kind of a conundrum these days for business analysts because so much of the world is going to the STEM skill set and the technical business analyst. And I think often we're sort of missing that relational aspect of trying to drive change and influencing as a result of the relationship. Well, you know, Agile really messed things up for a lot of people, didn't it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, and it's unfortunate because Agile is so grossly misunderstood with what its original intent was and how people are treating it. And it's why so many companies, I haven't been in a company in a year now that's successful at it. It's a difficult topic, but, uh, you know, when you start moving around the roles, you know, and the expectation is, oh, no, that role does it now. And then that leaves a BA to become more technical if they're not going to do that other side. And what's funny is the other side isn't trained on how to do that relationship stuff either. And so misunderstandings around roles, especially, I mean, let's just take the product owner. The point of a product owner is someone that is highly educated in their business product. They know exactly what that product needs. They work with their subject matter experts directly to make sure that they have the right vision and information. They make all the decisions. When a sprint goes live, everything. They're the owner like a sponsor would be. But they're also skilled in business analysis 100% to do the necessary analysis. So they're part business, part BA, part sponsor, superhero. Okay. And they work that way because we've backfilled their role on the business side. We've dedicated them to a team 24 seven. And we've also thrown out the idea that we don't need budgets or timelines because we're there to build the best product. Well, then we fast forward to the future where we have BAs and they say, we don't need a BA. Well, but what they don't articulate is the fact that the BA is actually in the product owner. And so when they do set up a product owner, that product owner doesn't have any experience. And then we find out that the product owner isn't a true product owner. They don't have the authority. And so all of these things are peripheral to what you're talking about, that relational aspect. We've lost it all because we don't know what each other is doing and how we should operate in a hybridized environment. I get really passionate on that one. That one drives me a little insane because I'm all about hybridization. I love hybridization and I love agile. I think agile can work. I just don't think very many people. Not everybody's, I I guess, is broad-minded and generalist anymore. Mm -hmm. It's all about specialization and trying to put square pegs in round holes as far as people development and that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I've been saying for years, trying to help BAs figure out where to go because I know they're getting a lot of pressure. I'm like, you either need to specialize or you need to move to a product owner role. You have to decide which you like better because the technical people are going to have to specialize more. And, you know, that product owner role is going to be pushed very hard. And what they're going to do in most cases is they're going to fill it with a BA. 
because most companies just are not going to pony up the right level of product owner. Definitely has been my experience, especially a, a product owner with that influence, as uh, as you were saying. Um, well, what what a nice tie-in, right? Product owners with influence. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what was sort of going on in your career where you're like, hey, I'm really not into corporate anymore. I want to go off and make a difference another way. Yeah. So the real question is, was I ever actually really into corporate (laughs) 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 or was it a necessary evil? And then I woke up and go, Hey, this pays pretty well. You know, I think everyone has these moments in their lives, or at least I hope they do where they have an epiphany about something. And, and I know some people have, you know, they come to me all the time, like, I'm still not sure what I want to do when I grow up. Well, I, was at a point when I was at the second corporate company. And again, that was another nine years. I started to do a lot of presentations for the local Minneapolis-St. Paul chapter. I was part of some thought leadership groups. Uh, I was just really getting involved in the industry. And I started showing up at conferences on behalf of my company, showing the great work that we had done. I'm kind of like an OG of COEs. So I'm one of the (laughs) first. I know it's a weird thing to say, right? But I'm I'm one of the first that I'm aware of that actually built a BACOE. So it's been a couple of decades. And I was presenting on that quite a bit along with a colleague and running around the country. And, you know, it's interesting. You know that people watch you, but you don't often know why they're watching you. And some people are flat out just watching because, you know, they're headhunting. And it's flattering when it happens. Well, it actually ha- started happening pretty rapidly. And I got to the point where it was time for a change because I had done some research uh, on my value systems. I had done a lot of research on myself personally through Myers-Briggs, StrengthsFinder 2.0 by Tom Rath, Insights, you know, and I was looking at all those different models, disk models, et cetera. And I kept coming back with this profile educator, counselor, therapist, educator, counselor, therapist. And here I was being hit up by education companies saying, hey, you want to come teach business analysis for us? It was kind of a no-brainer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're, you're handed a gift. And the real tie-in and the, the real connection was I, I woke up one day going, doggone it, I finally now know why that's my favorite movie of all time. And my favorite movie of all time is To Sir With Love with Sidney Poitier. Okay, I love that movie. Lulu. It's fantastic. And what is it? It's a person, uh, an educator who wants to help these kids think, learn, and work differently, the motto of my company, and you know, trying to get them unstuck. So for those you know, uh, high school teacher, alternative teacher approach things, this is like the first movie, right, before the Michelle Pfeiffer movie and others that came later. And it wasn't that I wanted to be Sidney Poitier himself, although that would not have been a bad thing. Oscar winner, man about town. But it was just, I just like the concept of what he did. And I wanted to help people. And I'd helped a lot of people in these organizations. But what if I went beyond that? How many people could I help? Years later, <laughs> I have a pretty doggone good following. And I've 
been able to present all over North America and globally, technically, with um, virtual stuff. And I've reached thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And it's so I'm one of the lucky ones. You definitely are. And you are known and loved. And I'm very well aware of that. So I guess going to that topic of helping people get unstuck, especially those of us who are sort of mid-career or longer. <laughs> Isn't it all relative? Uh, it's just a number. <laughs> you know, the, the whole concept of feeling stuck and not necessarily knowing what to do about it or how to get unstuck, maybe talk about your advice to to folks who know they need some sort of change and they don't necessarily know what it is. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, I decided to use one of my personal coaching models and it's on value-driven change. And it's something I normally do with people one-on-one. And I decided, well, I'm going to do it at the big conference. And I tied that in with a concept called the bucket list, which was using a bucket list as an example of pushing your goals forward. Well, this whole approach is really about helping people get unstuck or at least getting them to wake up a little bit to say why they need to move forward. So what it really is, is getting in touch with your values. And if your values are not being met, then you need to develop a strategy to raise those scores. And it is a scored model. And it can be a bit of a shocker at first. You know, you're like, you you think like, well, company's okay. And you go through your scoring system and you're like, I tell you, you needed a five and you got a two. You're not even close. And by the way, the scores are a half, zero, or one. So that's a kind of a big gap when you're, you're looking at a scoring system. And then it's about developing a strategy for why you're not happy and why those values are not being met. And it doesn't just mean change companies, change roles right off the bat, but it's about digging in. Uh, So I always find that that is an excellent way to get unstuck because it's very jarring when it happens. And it also helps people start coming to grips with the idea of, am I really working in the job I've always dreamed of? Or am I just paying the bills and it's convenient? And it kind of gets into that mindset, like, how do you want to spend your time? And I find that to be incredibly important. And I, there's this is all about trade-offs, right? There are going to be a lot of people that have to continue that job, but you know, not forever. And that means you can start building these strategies to say, you know what, if you really value this, then do something about it. I do have one other thing that helps me get unstuck. I have analyzed the schniz out of the Kubler-Ross death and dying grieving cycle, but not just for death and dying, but to recognize where you're at. Because no matter what we go through, we go through this. We go through anger, denial. And the problem is most people don't recognize they're stuck in one of the modalities and then they don't get unstuck. So I do periodic checks using that model to say, all right, what am I doing right now? And I was like, well, I, clearly I've been in denial for 45 minutes and 37 seconds. <laughs> As I realize I haven't moved and I'm just still sitting there staring at the screen, you know? I used it just recently to, to recognize the depression that I was in. And, you know, wow, a week just went by. But if I didn't know enough to use that as a periodic check system and understand how that works, then I'd 
continue to be stuck. I've seen people go through depression for months and no matter what you say can get them unstuck, it's they have to come to that realization. And so that's why using a model like that, that forces you, it's right in one of my notes and it's this, it's on my to-do list and, you know, doesn't matter where I'm at. I'm, I'm just like, I'm not stuck in any mile. Things are great. But, you know, a week later I'm like, and I'm really angry at something I can't control. Because then you have to start taking, taking stock, right? So those are the two things that I would request of people to really look at their values, see if their values are being met. And there's a wide array of values. I am going to come up with a little mini book, hopefully, here. Oh, good. Before I, before I leave this plane of existence on this, it's, it's all about that. That's specifically how it's designed to do. So. Mm-hmm. Well, having uh, gone through your scoring system in a previous organization I was at, that was very helpful for me personally, as I realized, you know, there's some misalignment somewhere and I need to be open to doing something to make that different. So that certainly did work for me. So wow, that makes me feel very good. Very that's a <laughs> wonderful validation. I mean, I know the model works. It's still, there's mm-hmm. a lot of work that, you know, you would have to do as an individual. Mm-hmm. Right. But I, I find most BAs that are stuck are smart enough to get them out of the hole once they can figure out what that is. Yeah. So I was listening to something today. So the concept of disrupting ourselves and, and that kind of thing and how it's often that we think to disrupt ourselves means we have to go somewhere different kind of thing. But it was making the point that not necessarily you can disrupt yourself in the same organization and you can find a situation that matches your values and still be in the same organization. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, sometimes the disruption in the same organization is to take a job that no one else would ever think you would take because you know, you're going to grow from it. Uh, You know, I've had the pleasure of working both on the business and it multiple times, but in the same organizations, because the first 20 years was corporate 50 fortune 50 environments. But that kind of disruption is very healthy. And I did a game changer presentation a few years ago, and I talked about being a disruptor in this industry. And it doesn't have to be disruption on a nuclear scale, but that's what most people think about because that's what we've been trained to think about with movies and everything else. It it could be a simple disruption to say, you know what, I'm going to finally make the switch to user stories and acceptance criteria, even though I'm in a waterfall environment. Which, by the way, would actually improve everything you're doing. And by the way, there's uh, 90% no difference between the requirements you write today. <laughs> because those aren't actually agile. User, right. story, user stories and acceptance criteria are not agile. It's just a requirement style writing choice. But it's really accurate when you use it right. So, uh, Yeah, I love that. So how have you disrupted today? <laughs> <laughs> well, just thinking back over the last, few years when you and I first met, I was in an organization that just wasn't a fit for me in a role that I was really straining against kind of thing. And I've moved to a couple of organizations since then, trying to find what that fit was. So I think sometimes 
you're going to disrupt and it's not going to be a fit. Mm-hmm. And um, we have to sort of not be afraid of it not being a fit and then doing something different to sort of course correct a, a second time. Maybe you overcorrected the first time and now you got to bring it back to center a, a little bit in another way. Yeah, well, you know, you mentioned the F word there and fear is a big problem for most people. I think it's all about perspective. And you can deal with fear a lot better when you have that perspective. So, you know, being perfectly frank, I know you know already, but maybe some of your listeners won't. I have stage four cancer. I have three to six months to live. And it's about perspective. And I can go, oh, why me, boo-hoo? Or I can simply look at the time I have left and recognize, you know what? I'm not at the border of the U.S.-Mexico border being kidnapped by cartel and sold into slavery, which has been happening left and right. All right. These people with legitimate papers to get in the country can't, and they're stuck there at tents, and they're being kidnapped. Perspective. So when you go to that thing, you know, that next moment, you're like, well, I'm really nervous. And this has happened to a couple of people that sent in responses to me after seeing a presentation where I talk about cancer and perspective, they're like, yeah, I was really nervous about that job interview. Nope, not anymore. (laughs) (laughs) What's the worst that can happen? You don't get the job. No, then it wasn't the right fit. Or you get the job and now you're like, Oh, I've got to meet 30 new people. And you know, Oh, and maybe you're an introvert on top of that. That doesn't like that kind of massive interaction. What's the worst that can happen? No one's going to die in that situation. You know, you're not going to pay any more or any less taxes. <laughs> you know? So next time you're worried about something, just give it some perspective and think about less fortunate people. And it takes you into a whole different mindset. Absolutely. And the things that make us feel insecure are not quite... Uh as big and dramatic as um, they are in our own heads. (laughs) Exactly. You know, well, that's even perspective. You know, I've had people, you know, tell me about, oh, you had this impact and whatever. And I'm like, you know, but in in the scheme of things, let's put some perspective on that. I'm on a planet of how many million, billions of people? Seven, eight, what are we up to? I'm a blip, you know? So that's why focus less on me Focus more on you and your opportunity and maximize the time you have. Don't worry about the rest of it because it's going to be gone (laughs) like that. Well, I guess let's talk about while we're here, talk about senior life and what your plans are for, for that. Yeah. You know, so singyourlife.org is my vlog. I don't even know if they call them vlogs anymore. <laughs> I call vlogs just became blogs, but it's a video blog uh, where I just do what I'm thinking in the moment or sharing my experiences and the really icky, tough decisions I've had to make on cancer. And they have been extreme and I've had to make decisions that most people will never have to make. So I'm just trying to share that along with the concept of sing your life you know, have the pleasure of meaning what you sing, have the pleasure of singing what you mean. And, you know, be able to tell your truth 
it's annoying at times. It's time consuming. It's, you know, it's still work, but I'm sharing information that some people have used and it has allowed them to make better decisions. So I guess it's the right thing to do. So I'm just going to keep making videos as long as I'm able. I've got, uh, I had a three week period there where I didn't get anything posted. So naturally that sent the rumors off. Like what happened to Bob? And I, I was sick. I'm not going to lie. And then I got depressed and I'm just, you know, you have to find that mojo again. But uh, yeah, originally I had planned on uh, a new keynote and a book and I was going to do this whole series on stuff. And then COVID hit and, you know, thanks. Thanks, COVID. And I can't go anywhere. Oh, well. Oh, well. But I think that message of of seeing your life, you know, just contains that fearlessness, resilience, and taking action to get unstuck and yeah. and be passionate about our lives. And I talk a lot about, about that. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, we, it's so easy to get stuck. I, I'm going to be honest. Earlier today, I was stuck. There are th- three things I easily could have done, but now I could certainly blame it on the medical cannabis that I took, but I don't feel anything, so it's not <laughs> I, I wish that were the case. <laughs> the dosage is so low, it's not anything like what you guys expect. So <laughs> now I was I was stuck because I lacked the motivation around those those particular items. You know, it's an interesting thing, you know, I keep talking about perspective, but every day I get more perspective. And it's it's a fascinating thing that I am calculating like almost every minute of how I want to spend my time and what I want to do. And boy, a lot have been chucked out the door. (laughs) That goes back to what we've been talking about. It's about values. It's about perspective. It's about priorities, what really is critical and what isn't and all those things. Yeah. You know, the more you can embrace it and the more you understand your values I think the better life you're going to have. I mean, it's just uh, it's one of those things. It's kind of freeing when you get to that point. Maybe that's the, what you know Maslow talked about with self-actualization on some level. I don't think so. But <laughs> <laughs> I think of you know like Gandhi when I think of self-actualization. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm ever going to be Gandhi. Not with yeah, me neither. <laughs> What would be sort of your parting shot as, as we um, close out our interview today and final message for those in the BA community? So I'm going to sum this up with my biggest piece of advice. And it's something that most people don't do a good job of, and it's context. You want to be successful as a business analyst. Every time you open up your mouth should be providing context. Context for breakfast, context for lunch, context for dinner. Every time you're eliciting, facilitating, it's context. So if you are not constantly using communication to provide context, the reason why we're here, this is the purpose of this. This is how this will look. This is where this could go. You must communicate at that level. It will take you farther in your career than anything else will, I guarantee it. Because people will see you as a leader in your domain. They'll actually really believe you know what you're talking about. And you will. 
<laughs> whether it's immediately or later. But, <laughs> you know, I've spent decades practicing it, trying to help out. And I can point out that every failure is always due to a lack of context. I've been studying that very topic for seven years now. Any project failure you can name, it was due to context by someone's point. But if I had my 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 final parting parting, I'm so glad we had this time together just to have a laugh and sing a song. Seems we just get started. And before you know it, seems the time we have to say so long. So long, so long. Farewell. <laughs> Don't get me started because I'll just keep connecting them. <laughs> It'll be a 30-minute goodbye series. Uh, a little uh, little goodbye riff there. So yeah. thank you. Thank you so very, very much for uh, spending some of your time with us today. For those of our listeners, if anything resonated with you today, please make a comment or send me an email at Tracy. T-R-A-C-I-E at traceabilitypodcast.com or let Bob know at bob at bobtheba.com. Live fearlessly, be resilient, sing your life, give context, and uh, be the BAs that we know you can be. Yes, absolutely. Be extraordinary. Amen. Amen.